I contemplate the results of it so far, what is what you've been doing and the result of what you have been doing or not doing. Not as a criticism, but as a reflection, to see, you have to learn from experience so that you're you're actually observing where your weak weakness weak points are or where your strengths lie because of the lack of structure what is it what does that affect you do you find you use the time well or do you feel you just tend to procrastinate or dilly-dally or escape or what know how you what what you tend to do if somebody's not on your back or checking you out or or telling you what to do what happens the holy life has to be one of uh, self-reliance and motive we have to motivate ourselves uh, and so therefore it's it's learning to to develop this sense of commitment and doing things uh, not as a compulsion, but as a way of training. So that we, we don't all, you know, if we just left to our desires, we feel, we aren't always going to feel like meditating or sitting you know, or walking practice. But we still do it. Especially when we don't want to do it. It's more important to do it when you don't want to than to do it when you want to. Just to go against that kind of mind that that uh, just follows what you want and don't want to do. To go against that the momentum of that of desire. So when you're really eager to get in there and really get in the meditation hall and sit, and when you really don't want to bother. How do how do how do you deal with that? You can just feel guilty, or or just dismiss it, or well, have all kinds of defense mechanisms to to get out of things, or to just live in a realm of fuzziness. If your mind is fuzzy, confused, and dull, it's because you you live that way. You you live in a world, you create your world out of that those kind of conditions. With uh, with uh, the kind of sloppiness or say lustful tendencies or or kind of laziness or laxities we have to we have to develop a very strong determination like like with with lust when lustful thoughts or impulses come we have to bellow in bellow out no you can't you can't with lust you can't just say well no i don't Please, please go away. Because lust is, is a very powerful thing. If one is, is a lust, has a lustful nature, then you have to develop a very powerful response to it, which is to say no to it, to lust. Uh, I've said, told you before, from down in your guts, in regards to lust, I've developed this incredible no. It's it's a very powerful, no bucking about kind of no. It's not a, a wimpy kind of no at all. There's no maybes connected to it. But it's something I've developed over the years because seeing how things work and how what a kind of lazy character I have and how I can, you know, really want to, to kind of Play around and dilly dally a bit, and and put things off. I'm a I'm great at procrastination. One of my I've developed it for so many years, procrastination and half-heartedness. That one had to develop the an equal tendency in in that direction to prevent the lustful fantasies or impulses or desires to take over the mind. Because lust is uh, is the attractive force, isn't it? You you don't lust after the ugly and the painful. You lust after the attractive and the pleasurable. So from down down way down deep inside, in the in your guts, you you develop a roar, 
the lion's roar, that there's no way you develop a way, uh, an aditanabar means you say, I'm going to get up at three in the morning. You're going to get up, definitely. Not just, well, if I feel like it. And so you, you set your mind, you make that, those kind of determinations, uh, strong determinations, rather than wimpy kind of, of uh, maybes and if I feel like it, if I'm in the mood. Because you're, you're developing a sharp edge, the Vajra sword, the kind of Vajra is, the, is like a, a, a sword or a, a sh- something incredibly sharp, a diamond edge that cuts through delusion. And the Vajra is a, is a symbol of the Buddha, the Vajra mind, the Vajrayana, uh, the, the, uh, one, the Dhyani Buddha, Morgan City, has the, carries the double Vajra and this Vajra is, this, is, is a symbol for all this, this uh, cutting edge that we develop of wisdom that just slices through something, cuts off the, the, the root, cuts it at the root. Doesn't, it is not a, a dull, blunt kind of instrument, but it has to be developed. You have to, to uh, develop this Vajra-like ability, which isn't suppression, it's not just trying to, it's not the ostrich with its head in, buried in the sand. It's a very clear, accurate and precise tool of wisdom and knowing what to, what to do, what not to do. The practice of being with things as they are. This, is a, the, uh, this isn't a, a justification or a defense that the things are as they are as how... Uh, is how it should be. I'm not saying that life should be this way, or that anything should be this way. Any any one of us should be the way we are. It's not a matter of the should, is it? It's a, it's it's a reflection that this is the way it is. It's like this, in which we can. At least uh, recognize that at this moment it's this way, rather than jumping into the into all our ideas of how we would like life to be. Life is, is forever changing. The conditioned realm is, is as energy and change and Nietzsche and permanence. So it's, that's its nature and it changes according to the laws of nature. That's just the way it is. But as our wisdom faculties develop, as we start using wisdom rather than just passion with life or indifference, then we we, we can bear with the, the way things change when they go up or down or pleasant or painful or, or wonderful or horrible. These, are, these aren't important anymore. The quality, the, the present quality is not the issue. We're not making a problem about the way it is. We're recognizing that it's this way at this moment. And we keep bringing our attention to the Dhamma, like one step at a time, the walking or the sitting, standing or lying down, this is the way it is. There's consciousness, there's, there's this experience of consciousness, there's the posture of the body, the four postures, there's the breath, the sound of silence. Then if there's thought or memory, if like if, if you're sitting and memories come into your mind, then, then you're recognizing memories or memories rather than things you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be thinking about this or or getting, or, or or believing the memories are very important messages to to follow up and think about and, and attach to. If you're contemplating dhamma, you just whatever you remember is. It, uh, if you're seeing the dhamma, then you're seeing that that sanya uh, is anicca, sanya anicca, sankhan sankara uh, anicca. That it's a Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyana, or Anicca, or Anatta. Then you're contemplating Dhamma. So, so memory, even though it's very personal or very emotional, mood or memory or uh, emotion, all of this, no matter what its quality, whether it's fraught with passion and personal uh, uh, attachments, if you're practicing the Dhamma, then you're, you're, you're recognizing that all memories are impermanent. 
you're not, you're not, uh, you needn't make comments about the memories. They can be good, bad, indifferent memories. That they're, they're, you're, you're recognizing, you're realizing impermanence of memory rather than becoming fascinated, repelled, annoyed, upset by the memories you're having. So that's in the four postures. When you say you're doing the walking meditation and your mind wanders, you keep reflecting that, that this is the way it is. There's the, the, this is, we're conscious beings, there's consciousness operating, uh, there's walking, there's breathing, sound of silence. This is the way it is. This is dumb. This is just the way it is as an experience. This is not getting into personality, into greed, hatred, or delusion. This is just the way it is at this moment. Then if there's uh, any kind of form of greed, hatred, or delusion, or what arise, then you, you're contemplating that as anicca. You're seeing the dhamma of greed, hatred, and delusion rather than, than uh, reacting to it with indulgence or suppression. The danger in, in understanding the theory is then you think you should be able to do this. Uh, because you understand the theory behind it, you think you should be able to do it as a kind of, uh, you know, in a practical way. Just go, just sit here and, and then just see things as they are. You should be able to do that. But, but that, that's because you're still, you're still caught up in the idea that you're somebody that should be able to do something. And that's why I've been emphasizing so much on this retreat to get to that very, that very source of delusion, the assumption that I am somebody who should be, who should do something in order to become something else. It's most, most helpful to be able to recognize that basic delusion. I am a person and I'm, and I should be practicing. And just because uh, and even though this this is a, this is an assumption, it doesn't mean we don't practice. It means we the practice is no longer coming from a delusion. When we walk, we walk, and when we sit, we sit. When we stand, we stand. When we lie down, we lie down. There's breathing. There's consciousness. This is the this is the way it is on the, this plane of of human birth on pla- and planetary life. It's just this way. It's it's obvious. And we think it should be some other way. Who who do you think you are anyway? God? That you think life should somehow be some what you want? Life is like this. This is the way it is. And I don't like it like I want it to be otherwise is is a Luciferian conceit. That I could I want it I want life to be I think I have a much better view of what life should be than the way it is now. Or I should be something better than what I am now, or Amravati, or this monk, or that nun, or those lay people, or Britain, or America, or Saddam Hussein, or the whole lot. I mean, it shouldn't be. He shouldn't be that. Saddam Hussein shouldn't be. Shouldn't have done what he's done. There shouldn't be a war in the Gulf. Not fair. And it shouldn't. Things that happen at Amravati, it shouldn't be that way. Monks shouldn't be like that. Nuns shouldn't be like that. They should be this way. They should be that way. And oftentimes you're right. Everything should be. It would be nice if everything were perfect. If there was no war and everybody was humble and 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 uh, generous and unselfish and and all the monks and nuns were enlightened and... and uh, wonderfully happy and loving and warm and giving and generous people. I mean, this would be great. (laughs) But life is like this. It's this way. And then you look at your own mind, even though, you know, I can complain about somebody else not being, uh, thinking that they're being too selfish or too... uh, callous and indifferent and not trying and I can be critical of others and I also see those same things in myself. I can certainly can see that the problem really lies in the mind and not, not with somebody else.
Life in the community is, remember, is like this. Community life is this way. It's full of irritations. Living with people. I think human beings are the most irritating conditions on this planet. I can't think of anything more irritating than people. And uh, so that it's just the way it is. Community life is is this way. But but the, but remember what we're here for. We're not here to to make the community uh, into something. You know, to try to dominate it, uh, make impose our will on it, or to try to make it become what we think it should be, or to or, or to just kind of passively obey and kind of. And kind of submit like a like a an, like an imbecile to just everything, passive and blind acceptance of everything. I'm not asking for that, but using the situation because the of a community life for reflection to see where you because what, because people are so irritating, uh, it's very important to to witness that to know where we feel most threatened. Where do you feel most insecure and with, with other people? Where do you feel most uh, threatened or most irritated or most critical? or With who? What kind of people do you feel most uh, kind of insecure around? And of course, we can say it's their fault. I mean, that's, that, that's not what I'm after. I'm not asking... Uh, 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 for blame, I'm not blaming anyone, but recognizing. And if somebody's even being aggressive in in bullying me, even though they might be at fault in that way, the important thing is to see my own reaction to it, my own fear or resentment or anger or uh, anxiety that comes from from being threatened by somebody else. But here, that doesn't happen very much, isn't it? We can assume that somebody else is is trying to take over our position, or somebody else is is this way or that way, or that that um, people have different character tendencies and and think in different ways and re- react to situations in different ways, and we can misinterpret it very quickly. I've made so many mistakes just by going on just by judging things on a very superficial level. It's by kind of first impressions. I don't trust first impressions and reactions. I don't trust what my my conditioned mind says. I don't believe it. I know it it's just it's the Pavlovian dog. It just it it's just trained it's habituated to, to react in certain ways. It has no soul. It's not real. It's just just a, a dumb condition. It's just a reaction. It has no it's not anything uh, truly sensitive or intelligent. It's just a stupid reaction a lot of the time. Like salivating when the bell rings. Because it, something totally artificial. Something taken on that, that has no relationship to anything real. But it's just been imprinted into the mind as a reaction. And that's the way most of your thoughts about yourself, they're just imprinted into your mind. They're not based on anything real. They're just false views that you that you hold on to, you believe in. Or what you think somebody else is. A community life is in the Sangha life. We're developing this this very reflective way. We, we agree on this level of discipline and, and practice. So that uh, this, is, this is what we're here for, to, to, to realize uh, the truth, to realize the Dhamma. We're not here to, to become kind of, to become monks or nuns or authorities or experts or anything on that, on the worldly plane. Remember, the, the samana is the reverse of the worldly situation where, where we can say, I'm abbot of Amravati, I'm 25 years in the order, I'm very uh, important monk, big ajahn, important monk, Mahatera and all that. 
I'm really somebody. I'm the big cheese in this outfit. I'm the teacher. I'm the spiritual advisor. Uh, that's all worldly thought, isn't it? That's, that's, that's the way the world is in the mind, isn't it? I am, I'm senior to you. You're junior to me. I'm senior monk, you're junior monk. You're only a nun, I'm a bhikkhu. You're only an anagarika. You're a lay person. Who do you think you are? Some of the anagarikas. Some of the anagarikas I hear look down on the lay people. You're only a lay person. I'm an anagarika. <laughs> it's the pecking order, isn't it, of the world. It's called the, the pecking order. But we're not, and if we're a bunch of chickens, then that's the way it is. Is that the best we can do? That's why we're just chickens. But we're trying to get out of that realm of being chickens. So the pecking order is is not what the song is about. And but we can reflect on it because we we do. It brings up like if you're senior monk, senior nun, you can start. May being a, 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 one who pecks at somebody below you, and you can, and these these are worldly kind of instinctual reactions on the on the animal plane, and uh, certainly understandable on that level. But for goodness sake, let's hope we we can do better than that. That's not what the sangha is about. Wanting to have power, position, authority, be respected wanting to be praised, and all these are, these are worldly. These are what we, we would seek if we were out in the world as, as, as lay people, and we were trying to, to make a name for ourselves in the world. We, we want respect, we want praise, we want wealth, we want position, all that. So, but the, remember, the Sangha is not a worldly, is not meant for worldly gain. It's the reverse. It's a samana. It's a relinquishment, it's a renunciation. Letting go, renouncing, relinquishing, all of those, those things. And to be able to relinquish doesn't mean suppressing our feelings, but recognizing what the world is, knowing the world is the world, and not, not, uh, not uh, confusing the world as the Sangha. To know that the refuge in Sangha is, is not a refuge in a position, in a, in a hierarchical structure. Some of the lay people look at it, well, they, th- they go by the, well, he's a senior monk. He, she's only a nun. She doesn't count for much. But the bhikkhus, they're important. Oftentimes in the Asian communities, no, the, the nuns don't count for very much. The bhikkhus are everything. That's the lay people's uh, worldly mind, isn't it? That you get more merit, get more punya from giving to to a senior monk than to a junior monk, or you get more merit by giving to a monk than to a, a nun. These are worldly, worldly attitudes. These, this isn't dhamma. This isn't truth. This is this is uh, the sense of me and mine wanting to get merit, wanting to get the most merit I can by giving to to the the most senior monk. Remember one time in, in, uh, in a really rough time when you're at Wat Bapong because Ajahn Chah was away for a long period, for four or five months. He was, wasn't in the monastery. And there are about 50, 60 monks and about 70 nuns living there. We were hardly getting anything to eat because nobody wanted to come and feed us. As soon as Ajahn Chah came back, then they'd all rush in. Pots of food and food would be abundant, and Ajahn Chah would say, you, you, come, you, want, you only come when I'm here with all this food. He said, I can't eat all this food. I just only need a little bit. You know, that, but, but you want to give me the food. You, don't, you, don't, you aren't giving to the Sangha. You're giving to, to, a, to a person. You eat, chastise them, scold them. I'm trying to get them to realize that, that, that whether he's there or not doesn't make, in regards to merit, is and punya is not nothing to do with him receiving the food. It's the wise intention, the purity of the intention, the 
the compassion, the generosity, the goodness, the skillfulness that we use. It's, it's a superstition to think that you gain more merit by giving to me than by giving to someone else. I'm not saying the most senior monk here. Think if you give to Ajahn Sumedho, you get more merit than if you give to Ajahn Munindo. But if Ajahn Sumedho is here, then let's give it to Ajahn Munindo because you get more merit by giving to Ajahn Munindo than to uh, Venerable Atapemo. I mentioned Tanasapo right at the end. <laughs> but at least you get more merit by giving to him than to Anagarika Michael. <laughs> or Sister Sundra. Get more merit by giving to Asapo than to Sister Sundra. But you get more merit by giving to Sister Sundra than giving to Ditindria or to one of the Anagarikas. That kind of spurious logic there, I believe, but it is a bit stupid. So, not, not a matter of who, you know, how am I going to get the most merit? Is that selfish? And, and how do you get merit? How, what, what merit is there in selfish actions? But we do have these, our minds do work like that. It's easy to kind of, to the conditioned mind easily falls into those ways of thinking out of heedlessness, ignorance, not understanding truth. It's easy to, 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 uh, to be foolish and, and do things and, and be insensitive and just, just uh, follow biases and prejudices and opinions. Very easy to do. We all know that. But when we develop this Vajra mind, this, this, this diamond-sharp diamond sword, this incredibly sharp edge that cuts through delusion. You don't develop that by, by, uh, by half-hearted efforts or by stupidity and selfishness. You have to know, you have to really recognize the, the laziness, the half-heartedness, the procrastination, the, the defenses, the, all the, the things that one uh, te- tends to uh, easily fall victim, fall a victim to. Not as a suppression, but a recognition. We, we have to know what laziness is and the result of it, of not wanting to be bothered. What does that feel like? I, I've listened to my mind. I say, I just, because I'm quite a lazy person, actually, so I, so they, I don't want to be bothered. I can't be bothered with that. I don't feel like it's, a, it's not important. I'm not here for that. And I think, and I contemplate, is that really a mental state that I want to to uh, develop? I can't be bothered with this. And and I do, when I listen to it, when I really pay attention to my wimpy and whinging mind, conditioned mind, I, I know that I don't want to, to be that way, that that's not, that, that that is something I don't want to develop or, or uh, follow. But it's not, it's not suppressing it, is it? I'm, I'm really paying attention to, to my fears and my uh, problems and, and uh, desires. I'm listening, I'm watching, I'm observing them. There's this, this sense of attentiveness, but it's not critical. It's, it's reflective and in, investigative. They, is this a mental state? Is this a skillful mental state you want to develop? Like, I can't be bothered with that. I don't really feel like it. It isn't really important. And after all, is that, is that a mental state that leads to peace and calm and to... to uh, understanding of Dhamma, if I follow that. Well, then you, you know for yourself the answer is obvious. But it's not because you, you're trying to become someone who's not lazy. You're actually observing laziness or procrastination or the tendency to put things off or dismiss or, or not pay attention to it. You're observing, you're, you're knowing it, you're investigating, you're learning from that rather than just 
feeling guilty about it and uh, and just trying to avoid and uh, dismiss or suppress your your feelings that's why to bring into consciousness it's like this uh, uh, this uh, these 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 conditions of your mind means to to listen to them to see that to to be aware of them at, for what they are, not to just be caught in judging, reacting to them on an emotional level, on emotional plane. For example, if I, if I feel anger or something, then if angry, angry condition arises, and then I, if, if I investigate anger, I say, there's anger here. What does it feel like? What is my mind if somebody has has offended me? I think, oh, that person, I don't like him, he should never... And then I reflect, is this the kind of mental state I want to follow? Do I want to become somebody like this, that's offended and upset by what somebody else has said or done? So there's an acceptance of the anger, but not an indulgence in it. And neither is there suppression, it's a recognition of it for what it is. Now here at, at community life, the the uh, the lay community has been incredibly thoughtful and considerate. The, the lay people that have come to help in their preparation of food and in their tea and and drinks, well provided for. I want to express my appreciation and gratitude. To the uh, to the dedication that the lay people have uh, been showing towards providing us with delicious meals and very good drinks. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> now for the seminars, if you're a seminar, then. That's that's the right reflection. I hear some of you don't complain about things still. So I want to make it very known that if if any of the seminars complain to the lay people about the food or the drinks, tell them to stuff it. As as uh, as alms mendicants, we great. We we don't we don't uh, we're not here to to comment on the quality of these things because they're offerings made to us uh, by the lay community, and and therefore it's not for us to you know to to uh, weigh its quality or whether we like it or don't like it or too much or too little or too sweet or too sour or too strong or too weak. These are, uh, but we can observe our mind, can't we? We can observe our own reactions to things. If we get served something we don't like, well then observe that feeling of, of not wanting or not liking it. I'm not asking you to like everything, but to use this opportunity for recognizing what defilement is, what kilesa is. Like if you, if you don't like, if the tea's too weak, or you want tea to be strong, and, they, and, and instead the tea's weak, and you think, oh, he didn't make the tea right. That's a defilement of your mind. Doesn't matter whether the tea's strong or weak, as far as uh, the sum in our life goes. It's just whether this is, somebody's offered, made something to offer us. That's that's what it is. It's something that people have made to offer to us. And it's not a matter of whether it's to our worldly taste and our high standard. That's not the issue. Because our reflection is on the, on the very act of giving and our, on our own uh, position as summoners. If, we, if I was king, if I was really the, the big cheese in this uh, outfit, 
if I was king of the world, then I'd tell you, I don't know, uh, exactly how I wanted everything, how I wanted everything done, and I had to have this standard and this quality and this, the best of this, and you have to put so much in, you have to do this way and that way, and, and if it's not like that, I'm going to really, I'm going to fire you, I'm going to get rid of you, off with your head, because if I were king of the world, I, I could, I could, uh, I'd have that uh, position to, to make endless demands on you to give me the best. But I'm not, I'm, I'm a summoner. I'm a, I'm a beggar. I have no power on the worldly way. I do not take power if, if from the world. So I am dependent. I'm a dependent being on the goodness and kindness of the people around me. And I, and I, re that's what I choose too. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a beggar and, and, and a mendicant as a, as a kind of, like, like say in India, where a lot of them just have no choice in the matter. You're born as a beggar and then you spend the rest of your life just kind of scrounging for a rice grain. But this is, this is a, a position I've, I have chosen, chosen to become an alms mendicant, to depend on the goodness of others. So that, that I can become a, aware of my arrogance and my selfishness and let it go. Because this is what, what the mendicant life is for. That we, we can really recognize the nature of arrogance, conceit, discontentment. Because our, remember the, the four requisites, the rag robes. Just think when you, when you get, say if you get some tea that you don't like, weak tea or something, and you didn't made properly, and you think, well, at least it's not fermented urine. <laughs> One of these days, I'll ask the lay people to serve fermented urine to <laughs> And that's a good reflection, isn't it? That's, yeah, I mean, that sounds like I'm being facetious, but remember the fourth requisite of medicine is fermented urine. And these, these teas and, and things that are served here are considered medicinal, for medicinal purposes. They're not for, you know, for taste and for, for uh, pleasure. So, so that the, we're, we're looking at them as, as offerings, as medicines. Now, that isn't a, a euphemism either. We can expand medicines into things like warm drinks are, have a certain warming effect on a cold day. If you've been uh, you know, in, in this it's, in this weather, it get, one gets quite cold. So warm or hot drinks are quite helpful in warming us up. Not a matter of that; it's just a, a kind of indulgence. It can be a mere indulgence, or it can be a a medicine. Chocolate and cheese can be medicinal, or they can be just indulgences. And when we laugh, we think chocolate's a medicine, ha 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 ha, because most of us think of chocolate as an indulgence, don't we? We think, well, I want some chocolate. But, but that, it can be a medicine, can it? It, it has, a, uh, 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 has some nourishment to it, and, it, and it's energizing. Cheese is very good medicine in cold weather. It's very warming to the body. On a cold afternoon or evening, a piece of cheese it really warms you up gives you some energy. So it's not a matter of just kind of being, you know, using them as, as euphemism, calling cheese and chocolate as medicines and then snickering, because, I mean, that may be how you look at it, but, but I would encourage you to develop a more skillful way of looking at these things, not to, to call them something they aren't, but to learn how to use these things for what they're meant to be used for, to help us in our life as, as alms mendicants, rather than things we, we use for escape or for indulgence or, or just take uh, and not even contemplate or not, not reflect on what they really are or how to use what is made available to us and uh, how to use it as Dhamma practice. So, in a bhikkhu gets on his high horse and goes up to a lecture 
complains about this or that, and you're only a layperson, I'm a bhikkhu, then that, that, that bhikkhu is, is filled with defilements. Recognize that. That a bhikkhu that comes on comes at you like that is is just a, a kind of a a convention as a bhikkhu, but not a bhikkhu in his heart. He's still very much a you know somebody who's who's become something, uh, who thinks he's he's above you and can tell you what to do. Uh, Western people we have very arrogant tendencies anyway. I mean we're, we have to be very alert. Because we, we come from very arrogant uh, civilization. Asian race was dumped here on planet Earth as a punishment. Because we, we're certainly very aggressive as a race, aren't we? Very aggressive and arrogant and conceited. And we've got these are just seem to permeate uh, European, uh, Western, Caucasian uh, civilization. So that this is. You know, but we we don't have to be this way. I mean, if we were just if we are just Caucasians, uh, Europeans, and that's what we are, there'd be no way out of it. But the fact that this is merely a karmic condition, not to be identified with, not to be attached to, then we can we can get we can transcend this arrogant tendency or conceit or selfishness or self concern. And that's what we're here for. That's what the Sangha is meant to be. It's meant to be a, uh, the community of Supatipano, Ujupatipano, Yaya Patipano, Samiji Patipano, those who practice the Dhamma in the right way, sincerely and properly and honestly. With the four requisites, keep, that's a you see the reflective nature of our life, how we have these reflections. This morning we did the uh, Patisanga reflection, the four requisites. So this, this, develop this, this is the, the rag robe, the idea of the, that the, uh, the Buddha allowed us to, to collect rags, we can scrounge for cloth. If we don't have a robe and we need to have a robe, we can go and collect the rags that the lay people throw out, throw away. We can scrounge around in the charnel grounds, in the Oxfam or wherever, in the, in the tips, find any bits of cloth and sew them into a robe. That's the Bangzakula Chivara. But then, you notice here in Britain how people rush to give us the nicest textiles you can possibly imagine. I've never had to scrounge in the, in the tips and rubbish bins of Britain yet to make a robe. I mean, the people are so eager to give me robes. You know, I could, I could, be, I could, I could wear a, 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 a new robe each day. I wanted to. I have a whole wardrobe of beautiful robes. I wanted them. All given to me. I'm really, I'm like a silk kind of, maybe a gold lame robe. (laughs) Kind of beautiful golden silk robe for Sundays and then the gamaton robe for Monday and Burmese robe for Tuesday, Sri Lankan robe for Wednesday. Because life is very abundant. I mean, we we get very well provided for. But that's but that's not what we're in the in this life for. To have to have a, a wardrobe, to have a variety, a lot of choices, and what we feel. What do I feel like wearing this morning? What. What suits my mood this morning? Go to the morning chanting, the the golden may or the. <laughs> Don't have to think like that. I just have one robe and put this put this on. Sangati, the same robe day after day. It makes life very easy. But the but the reflection is on the 
on the uh, fact that it is based on the rag standard rather than on the a high quality of textile. So then, and when we we think this robe, no matter if it's you know it's always better than all the robes we have are better than than if we'd had to go and scrounge around for for bits and pieces of rags and rubbish tips and so forth and then so then we feel gratitude this robe was given to me like one evening Ajahn Manindu and I were contemplating this he says he says everything I wear was given to me by someone he says I know that this jacket was made by this monk and this jumper was given to me by so and so and this <laughs> so you have in some way you, you see that you're wearing the cloth that has been given to you by somebody who who makes that offering. So that that is a quite beautiful way to, to contemplate. Rather than whether you you like like it or don't like it or it's it's uh, it's good maybe you'd like a better quality or whatever. That's not the issue, isn't it? That's not what we're but we can't be aware if those thoughts arise. As those are worldly thoughts. They, they arise, they cease, they're dhammas rather than truths to, to hang on to. The alms food. Here we have, the, we have porridge in the morning. We don't have to have that. The lay people make that and offer it. But we, we really, one meal a day is all is our standard. Isn't it? One meal. Bind of alms food, of what's put into our bowl, is our standard. And yet we think we should have porridge every day. We get quite upset, couldn't you? Some of you really get quite angry with the lay people if they didn't provide you with porridge tomorrow morning. I can hear some of you grumbling, getting angry because they didn't give you porridge in the morning. Who do you think you are, anyway? So that this is, this is a reflection on the uh, bindabata, that which is put into the alms bowl. So this porridge is a, is a medicinal offering. It's kindness of lay people, the anagarikas, or whatever, to, to offer this. But it's not to be regarded as, as that they have to give it to us. And if we feel like that, then that, see that as a defilement, that, that, that we've got this thing, that we've got to have this porridge and it's up to them, you have to make it, and if you don't do it, then you're, I'm going to really get angry with you. That, that is a whole uh, kind of sequence of kilesas, not to be believed in or attached to. Then the, when we go on Bindabhata, go and uh, collect food in your alms bowl, then uh, think of it in that way. It's just food that people have prepared, put it into your alms bowl. That is the meal offered. But they don't, you don't think that the lay people have to give you the food. That it's their, their duty to make this food and give it to you. That's the wrong view. That you're, that you're here and, and they are here to feed you, really try to, to uh, let go of that, uh, that attitude. That might, that's how it seems sometimes. You know, the lay people come to feed us. But don't take it for granted. That that's, that, that, uh, don't, don't be one who's, who believes that that's how it should be seen. Because that's not a skillful attitude, not a skillful way of of looking at it. That's not what an, an alms mendicant is about. That, that we will take what they offer. We will receive in alms world what they offer rather than they're here to feed us every day. You see what I mean? It's a changing from a worldly mind, a worldly way of looking at things. I'm a bhikkhu and the lay people come to feed us so they, they should be in the kitchen preparing the food. When I go there they should balanced diet and this and that, <laughs> vegetarian food and oh, uh, gotta have this and I want that and 
And uh, that's the worldly mind, the defiled mind. So we can we can observe if our mind tends to to react in that way. We we observe that this this kind of these defilements, these kalesas are are present. We can recognize them as dhammas. They arise, they cease. Not to not to grasp them, not to follow them, or or to feel guilty about it, to suppress and and uh, but to recognize that the that at this time this this is the way it is. This feeling is in the mind, and you re- and you reflect on it as dhamma rather than as something to grasp and believe and follow, or or to suppress. With the shelter, the same thing. For the monks, the basic allowance is a tree, foot of a tree. For the nuns, they have to have a some kind of shelter. They 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 have higher standards than the bhikkhus. Some reason or other, they have to have a shelter. They don't have a root of a tree as their basic allowance. Not fair, is it? But anyway, it's a it's a well, humble shelter. It's not a you know a really nice place, uh, uh, but it's uh, just whatever is provided as a shelter. So when you go to your rooms tonight, really contemplate the roof over the head for one night. It doesn't mean that 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 you can only sleep in there for one night, but it means that this is. That it, that that's the reflection. Your mind is is now contemplating that that you're and you can see the attachments you might have in regards to the room you have. You see, this is a shelter for one night, and then you then if your mind goes, but it, you know I've got to have uh, that's the defiled mind going. I've got to, uh, this is my room, and I need. Uh, that's the you can see by reflecting on the, this is a shelter for one night, they, um, any attachments, any defilements you might create in regards to it. Doesn't mean you have to to move out to another room every every night just to prove you're not attached. That's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking you to be to, to make life difficult, but to to really use the 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 reflections we have in order to see where you. Uh, what, what happens to you? Where you tend to get carried away? Where you tend to get lost? Where you tend to be very attached? Then, with the the medicines, the the fermented urine is the basic requisite. So you've got rag robes, grounds from the rubbish bin, alms food, which could be anything, any grisly tidbit that somebody drops into your alms bowl. A toad's leg or something like that. It uh, shelter for the night, which could be at the root of a tree. Imagine sleeping out at the root of a tree in this in this weather. Then this fermented urine. Now those are the those are, that's that's about the lowest standard you can get, isn't it? You couldn't get much lower than that. Fermented urine, root of a tree. Alms food and, and uh, rag robes, but that's not a standard to grasp. That we have to have just that. We shouldn't have anything better, because the Buddha always allowed if things were, if that which was presented was better, we can accept it. So when you have uh, rag robes as a reflection, if somebody offers you an, a nice silk robe, you can accept it. But it's not what you're expecting or demanding from life. If you're alms food, you accept a, a grisly piece of uh, maybe a toad's leg or a or a, or a roasted slug. <laughs> but if somebody offers you something better than that, you can accept it. <laughs> and root of a tree. You can. If somebody offers you a nice room, you can accept it. It's not. You're not. But you're. You're. You're not demanding. You're not saying I have to have the best. 
if somebody offers you fermented urine, at, say at five, tea, tea at five, and have, maybe we should change it from tea. I think that's a wrong, I think that's misleading. Change it to medicinal requisites, medicinal substances. Because at five o'clock, the Sangha will be offered medicinal substances, which could be fermented urine. Remember, if you if you get the lay people in a angry with us, they could take revenge. <laughs> Remember the power of those who feed you. Don't offend those who feed you. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. You've always been very careful to flatter the cooks in my life. <laughs> Because I know the power they have. They could pee in the soup. <laughs> so just good sense warned you not to go around being arrogant and insensitive to people that have such important positions in the world. And you're just a, a helpless beggar depending on the kindness of goodness of others. So hopefully the lay people will not do that. <laughs> but if we act in an obstreperous and stupid way, I wouldn't blame them. I just, they should do it. <laughs> Just to keep reminding you of what what an alms, what a samana means, what an alms mendicant is about. It's not becoming a big shot or an important person. It's not it's not having power and rights. You're giving up power and rights. In that you're giving up all of that, your power over money, your power over the world, to, to make it what you want, to get what you can for yourself. You're giving up that, you're giving away that power and rights, your own rights to, for yourself. You're giving up that. You're, you're taking on a moral, moral duties. And so the moral, morality is an important part of the holy life. To, to develop that impeccable morality as a foundation for spiritual development. To have a really, very strong sense of personal integrity and, and respect for yourself through moral behavior before you can develop uh, any real spiritual qualities. Contentment with little and gratitude for what is offered. These are the, these are the virtues and the uh, that, need, that we develop in this life. We don't become gourmets and fussy and fuss budgets and, and uh, people that, that have high standards and high expectations. And if we do, then we've, we've missed the opportunity. We, we no longer are deserving of anything. If we're that way, we don't even deserve fermented urine. If we if we if we think we should that we should have the best of everything and believe it and act on it, then we're not even worthy, we're not worthy of anything that's given to us. It's better to leave and just make money and get what you can, what you want. If you you know if you want to have all those ni nice things and good food and good drinks and nice room and the best medical treatments and all of that, then best to disrobe and get a good job, make lots of money, and so you can support your, your all these, uh, uh, high, these, these high standards you have. That's what, that's what the world is about. That's what worldly life is about, is having a high standard, having the best, trying to have better than everyone else, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, and and this is this this is what worldly life, worldly values. This is what this, but we we left that behind by becoming 
samanas, we've left that behind. That's not our way anymore. But we still easily slip back into those patterns, those attitudes. It's, it's why we have to keep reflecting and reminding, remembering what we're here for. Because it's easy to forget and to, and to fall back into the old worldly way of thinking and reacting to life. 